0: Welcome to Market Mentors, a podcast for the marketing leaders of today and tomorrow. I'm Fiona Jensen, a director and co-owner of Market Recruitment. For over a decade, I've been helping B2B marketeers find the best jobs with great companies. Together, we'll discover how marketing experts reach the top and learn from their experience. Ask career-related questions you can't get answers to elsewhere. Be tough, be challenged, be mentored. In this episode, we're in for a real treat, getting to learn from Dave Gerhardt, whose fast-track marketing career covers agency, startup, and ex-HubSpot employee who's gone from a standalone marketing manager role to VP of marketing managing a team of 20 for one of the fastest-growing SaaS companies in the world. We chat about conversational marketing, drift and cover some scary ideas like removing lead capture forms from your website eek i'm with the amazing dave gerhart thanks ever so much for taking part in market mentors today
1: hey fiona thank you for having me uh i don't know how great i am but you you pronounced my last name right so it's off to i'm I'm happy i'm happy to be here Woohoo!
0: (laughs) Bonus points from the start. I'll go with that. Um, So Dave, for for those crazy people who don't already know who you are and what you do and where you've come from, uh, can you give us a sort of summary as to the potted history of Dave, how you've got to where you are today and what sort of experience they're about to learn from?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, just by, just by coincidence, I've kind of only been in B2B marketing, uh, for my, for my whole career, which, which isn't that long. I've I've been in, uh, marketing since, uh, probably like almost 10 years now. Uh, but I, I started off as a, uh, an intern at a PR agency here, um, here in Boston in, in, in the U S and, uh, I got to a PR agency because I didn't know what I wanted to do, and, and I graduated from college at a really tough time in the economy, so nobody was hiring entry-level marketers as a lot of people had cut their marketing budget. And so I took a job in PR, and that was amazing because I was able to learn kind of the ins and outs of the agency world, and the agency world really taught me, uh, taught me how to work. It taught me how to communicate. Um, Really set a good foundation for what I'm doing today. Then from there, I went in-house. Uh, I took a PR job in-house at a company called Constant Contact, which uh, does e- did email marketing software. They've since been acquired, but it uh, was a public company at the time and a big company. I learned a lot from from there. And when I was at a big company, I got the opportunity to do a bunch of different things. So I went from PR to product marketing. Uh, ultimately I left that company cause I got really interested in, in SaaS and technology and the startup world. I joined an early stage company in Boston. I did that for about a year and a half. Then I went to work at HubSpot. So I was back at another kind of big B2B marketing software company. And then, uh, from HubSpot, I, I joined Drift, uh, in 2015 as the, the first full-time uh, marketer here. And it's just been an incredible ride since then. I, I joined the company. There was probably uh, six to eight, uh, Six to eight people at the company when I joined. I was the first marketing person, and fast forward to today, we have a marketing team of twenty people, and the company's grown to nearly three hundred people across three different offices. And there's one hundred fifty thousand businesses using Drift now, and we really created this category of conversational marketing. So it's been it's been an amazing ride, and I think the the one consistent thing for me has just been. Constantly trying to to learn, and I've become obsessed with marketing and love reading and learning about marketing because uh, I've seen how that impacts my work firsthand. And so, just kind of always on this journey of of learning how to be how to be better, how to be a better marketer, and how to be a better person. And it's funny how those two things actually kind of interact because marketing is all about people anyway.
0: Very true, actually. And I love the fact that you kind of created your own category within marketing already, being quite a young chap. And uh, also the podcast that you do, Seeking Wisdom. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan. I listen to it. I learn from it myself. So, uh, you know, your sort of passion really does come through. It's uh, it's pretty incredible, I think.
1: That's that's amazing. It's, it's cool to hear that. It's, yeah, it's been one of my it's amazing. I'm sure you know this as a marketer, but like, it's fun when the things you're working on don't actually feel like marketing, how often they tend to be the best things for your business and and what people want, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, So what I was keen to do was get a little bit of advice from you for people who are maybe out in the field at the moment, maybe they're applying for jobs or they're trying to find the job that's going to really resonate with them most of all. Um, And get some advice from you as to almost what you look for when you are recruiting marketers. How can you stand out from the crowd when you're in that sort of job search market?
1: Oh man, there's there's so there's so many there's so many things. I mean, I think for for me, the thing that I look for in in marketers is have they built up some some base of some body of work where you can actually you know see their work because marketing. Look, it's 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 2019. Like you can see, it doesn't matter what your marketing role is. If you're in SEO or your demand gen or you do, or or if you're, you're a writer or a podcast creator or a video creator, like you can see all of that content somewhere and information somewhere. And so, you know, I think it's, it's obviously we, we look at the person and, and if they're hungry and coachable and, and want to be here and, and, and want to grow as a marketer, but you can really see so much of somebody's work outside of, you know, actually talking to them today, whether that's, you know, stuff they've created at their company, or I, you know, you often find like the most passionate marketers kind of have some related side projects. So I'll give you an example there, There's somebody on the team at, at Drift, and, and he's a great marketer. And when we were talking to him in the interview process, he said that, uh, you know, on the side outside of work, he had built a Facebook fan page for the show, the TV show, The Office. And that had grown to over a hundred thousand members of that Facebook page, and so like that that's like such a good sign for me because that to me means that like this guy knows how to get people to to do things, right, how to get people to move and how to get people into this Facebook group. And so to me, having something like that is like the most translatable marketing skill, where oftentimes I think you, you kind of fall in this trap of just looking at their, their resume and what they've done in their career. And, and anybody can kind of write anything on their, on their LinkedIn profile, but to see actually, uh, uh, some work that they've done outside of work shows that like, a they're really passionate about it. B they're super creative and know, and know how to do those types of things. Um, and then if they don't have something like that, because oftentimes you talk to somebody who's you know, fresh out of school or, or new – and doesn 't have that type of resume you know then then I, then I would ask them to do we always ask everybody to do some type of project uh, before they, they actually you know get an offer from us or even before they come in for, for a, the interview process. We, act, we ask every candidate in marketing to do to do some work for us uh, before, and we don't we don 't use the work and if it 's a designer, we, we often pay for the work but because we want to see how we would work together before and it's not necessarily always looking for the quality of the work. We, we, we do want to see that the work is good and, and up to a certain level, whether that's you know a writer that we ask to write a blog post or a designer that we ask to you know, mock up a landing page. But the other half of that is we want to see how they are at taking feedback and, and actually working together. And so are they open to making changes? And, and how would that actually be? And what would it be like to work together? Because I think great marketers, you, know, you have to be able to get feedback from so many people around the company to deliver the, the right project to the right Person to the right audience. And so, you know, those two things have, have been super helpful for us in the, in the hiring process.
0: I see. So it's, it's almost based more around the culture fit and their approach to things and their appreciation of what marketing's about as to whether they're most likely to fit in with you guys and what you're looking for.
1: Yeah, and and ultimately at the, the stage that we're at, we're looking for people that can teach us, right? And so we want to see somebody come in who has some level of expertise that, that they could teach us about something. You know, they could teach us about video editing in a way that we don't do it today or, or writing in a way that we don't do it today or, you know, running ads on a different network and, and retargeting this group of people that we don't typically do today. So, you know, we want to find people that, uh, that can teach us. And, and ultimately, look, I think it's too hard today to not, to not, love, to not love what you do and, and love your work. And so we, we're, we're looking for people who are truly passionate about, about their work and, and treat their job in marketing, not just as a job in marketing, but as a, a you know, they consider themselves creators or, or masters of a certain craft. And I think that's a, just a type of different mindset than somebody who's just gonna come in, do a couple projects, and, and go home every single day.
0: Perfect. Yeah, understood. And and difficult to create, but as but as you say, if you can find people who are passionate about it, then that's half the battle. Um, yep. speaking of which, so I've read your books. The well, your team's books. The this won't scale and conversational marketing. But not everybody has. So it would be great to get um, some information from you around this category that you guys have created conversational marketing where does it stem from what it's about and how is it going to help b2b marketers today
1: yeah so there's a lot of things to unpack in there so um we we wrote the the book that you're referring to is a book that we wrote that we published in january with wiley uh january 30th it came out uh and the book is the first official book on conversational marketing and it's all about everything that we've learned over the last three years. And the response to the book has been amazing. We've sold over 10,000 copies. The book was a top 20 business book in the U S uh, it actually just got released, uh, in the UK last week. So you can go get it if you're listening, uh, which is pretty cool. And it was a number one new release on Amazon in, in, in sales and marketing. So the response to the book has been amazing, but rewind back to why we, you know, the category. And basically we, when, when the founders of, of, of drift started the company, they made this one big bet. this was twenty fifteen and and the big bet that they made was, "Hey, look around and all look around in our personal lives, and we're all now using messaging as the default kind of communication mode and so you know it's funny now because it's it's two thousand and nineteen and and everybody at a company that I know is using Slack, for example, and is using Zoom." uh for, for video meetings, right? But but 2015, like that still hadn't that shift still really hadn't fully happened yet. Maybe if you're at like an up and coming startup, you know, there's six people in your company using Slack, but most companies were not. And so they saw this rise in in iMessage, in WhatsApp, in mobile, in Instagram, in Snapchat, and really made this bet that hey, look, more people, humans, consumers, are now using these channels in their personal lives. Um, the bet was that these are going to start to eat into the business world too. And that's how it always happens, right? Any trend always starts with people and then works its way into business, especially today as the lines between B2B and B2C are blurring. And so the bet was we're going to go create a company that is focused around doing marketing that doesn't involve, you know, filling out lead forms and gated content because that world is all built for later, right? Go to somebody's website. Fill out this form and somebody's gonna reach out to you later. Uh, download this piece of gated content and we'll send it, we'll send you an email about it later. Book a meeting with a sales rep and they'll talk to you later. But the messaging world that we're living in with Slack and WhatsApp and iMessage and Instagram is all about now, right? We want answers now. If I if I need a ride, I can go get a get a car, I can get an Uber or Lyft, and I can get it right now in two minutes. I can order a sandwich for lunch in in, in one minute on my phone. Everything that is Uh, that we do in our personal lives have now has now shifted to be about now and live in this on-demand world uh except for b2b marketing and sales and so we created drift to to really disrupt that and and change the way that that businesses buy from businesses we're focused on the b2b world Uh, and so we started doing marketing where you'd capture leads via chat and have conversations with people uh, via chat on your website um, but ultimately, it was not live chat because we we were the first company to actually add a bot into into chat. And so that meant that you could actually filter out the good conversations from the bad conversations. You could have it communicate on your website 24-7, 365, and book meetings and have conversations with your sales team for you. Uh, and so we ended up creating this whole new way of doing marketing and sales, but we didn't give it a name. And so uh, for a while, we called it like message driven marketing, conversation driven marketing. Finally, one day, like this is a great marketing lesson that we had to learn was like, I was having a conversation with David, our CEO. We texted back and forth about this a million times. Finally, we said, Look, we just got to pick a name and commit and go. Uh, because if you don't name it, nobody's going to ever be able to say, Hey, you know, my company's doing blah, we're doing messaging marketing. That doesn't make any sense. So we called it conversational marketing. And from then on, it's really just, you know, repeat that message over and over and over to the point where shortly after that, the market started to say it back to us. And so Gartner wrote their first report on conversational marketing. G2 Crowd added conversational marketing as a category for software reviews on their website. And we started to see over and over and over again, just content from all these other people in the marketing world who weren't talking about us, but they were talking about conversational marketing. And so um, ultimately that led to really creating something much bigger than Drift, which is the category of conversational marketing, which is now, you know, one of the fastest growing categories in in, in marketing software out there.
0: It's fantastic. Um, And it also uh, sort of does some scary stuff in the process as well, doesn't it? Like removing lead capture forms and talking about AI and automating some of the sales activities and sort of questioning or challenging the end of business development reps. I mean, there's some pretty crazy stuff in there compared to (laughs) classic B2B marketing. Um, But, you know, it's it's really once you read it, once you get it, it just makes perfect sense now.
1: Yeah there there is like so so I love that you've called that out because there is you know there's a lot of crazy stuff in there but but think like what what we're trying to show the world is like this is a fundamental change and I think I think the challenge is marketers know that they're not getting the same results they used to get but they're not really willing to like challenge the norm. And, and that's the part that's frustrating for me, right? Which is like, look back at the history of time. Any big change that's happened in the world and our lives and technology has started with something that everybody thought was crazy, right? Everybody thought getting rid of lead forms and gated content was crazy and that marketers would never be able to generate leads again. But we've created a whole new way of doing that. That is better for customers. It's better for your business and you can still generate leads, You know, acquire customers, book meetings and, and, and do all that stuff. And so That's why we had to do things like write the book and start a conference and create so much, you know, uh, content and education around this because we need to show the world that, yes, you do need to make a change because if you want the great new results, you have to be able to make a change. Right. But, hey, we're here and we're going to help show you how to do it. And so that's kind of become a pillar of our marketing strategies to is to teach and educate to help people get over this hurdle.
0: So the conference you touched on there, I think there's one coming up actually in uh, the UK, isn't it? In the next month or so. What
1: Hypergrowth, yeah, yeah, good, good little, good little segue. So yeah, Hypergrowth we're bringing to to London on uh, June 10th. We wanted to, we wanted to expand, you know, outside of the US. We've done it. This will be the third year we've done it. The first year we did it in Boston was 1,500 people. Last year we did it in Boston and San Francisco. Uh, we had just shy of 5,000 people there, and this year we're doing it three times since it's year three. We're doing it in London in June, Boston in September and San Francisco in November. Um, and everybody here is super excited to, to go to London, and, and the buzz has been just amazing to see the reach, you know, that, that drift. And, and conversational marketing has kind of you know, uh, across the world, which is I'm super excited about
0: market mentors is produced by rockwood audio a subscription production service that takes the pain out of podcasting from advice and support to editing and production to music and artwork rockwood audio has you covered so you can stay focused on your goals better faster easier rockwood audio save time sound like a pro biggest learning curve you had when you got your first senior leadership role in b2b marketing talk a bit about learning around how to manage a team versus just managing your own job
1: yeah i mean this there's so many learnings in here that that i you know that i would take take with me forever which is like you know growing from being the the an individual contributor really the only person in marketing you know i, I went from writing all the blog posts, to making all the videos, to sending all the emails, to running all the ads, to now managing. Now there's a team that had, you know, there's 15, 20 people on the marketing team. And, and, uh, we've basically just had to continue to scale. I, I think that all the lessons that I've learned come back to, to people and, you know, really understanding that I, that I was not great and still I'm not great at, at hiring and and recruiting and, and just understanding, how hard the hiring process is and and I think I've learned a lot from David our, our CEO he's he's taught me a lot through the interview process and hiring but it really is such a it's such an art but you can add some science to it and so we've really focused on like bringing personality tests into the hiring process and and being more you know you know intentional and and having truly a checklist and system for how we hire you know who does the interview what role everybody plays in the interview how we get feedback how we make decisions on candidates how we test candidates and you know i've learned a lot in that process and hiring is definitely an art because anytime you you bring people into the equation it's never going to be a perfect science but you can get a lot more information today by by taking some of those techniques and bringing a science into it i think one of the common piece of advice in marketing and just in business in general is like you want to hire a players or you want to hire all a players but I learned a great lesson from from a guy I used to work for. His name's Joe Chernov. Uh, he is the VP of marketing at a company called Pendo now, and he basically said, "Look, if you that sounds great on paper, but if you hire all A players, your team is just going to end up just biting each other's heads off, right? You can't have all A players." And so. What I've learned about is really have to think about the overall mix of the team based on personality types and skills and roles and needs that it really is so much more like a puzzle where you need to find all these different pieces that can fit together to make this amazing team as opposed to just constantly trying to find you know, individual specialists that are great at their things. You've got to be able to find all di- different types of people that that can work together. And then the third thing I've learned is just the importance of of training and and systems and checklists, especially in marketing, right? So much that we do every day in marketing can, you can create a system, a repeatable system around it, whether that's how you write blog posts, how you make videos, how you make podcasts, you know, we need to have, because people, people are people. And ultimately we all, we all have other different priorities and we forget stuff. And so, you know, to have, have a pre-flight checklist for how you make a podcast that to make sure it goes off smoothly every time. And, and that, if you have that written down, it helps, it helps train, it helps onboard, it helps, you know, scale. If, if that person ends up leaving the company or gets hit by a bus or, or, or isn't there that day, it means that all your things in marketing can still go off without a hitch. And so those are the three kind of big lessons that, that I've learned over my time, but I'm still learning, you know, every single day as we continue to grow the team and the company.
0: Still seeking wisdom. I like it.
1: Still seeking wisdom. Exactly. It's on, it's, it got to be an ongoing thing. So
0: what is the most valuable marketing skill you can have?
1: The most valuable marketing skill you can have. Um, you know, I think when most people are given this question, they give some kind of fluffy answer, like, you know, be, you know, be learning or creative, but like I think there to me there really is one specific thing, and it's and it's copywriting. Time and time again, I've I've worked with marketers who are very smart and very technical and analytical and can do a bunch of great campaigns. But if you can't write, if you can't write great copy, everything breaks down. Your your deck won't be good, your landing page won't be good, your blog post won't be good, your email won't be good. You can set up all you can build all the plumbing and systems in the background to to run a great campaign and you can have the landing page set up and have ads set up. But if you can't write great copy, you will not actually be able to go out and execute on that. And so I think every marketer, and it doesn't matter what role you're in in marketing, you need to be able to write great copy first because then you can really become this self-sufficient marketer.
0: Fantastic. And with anyone who's maybe thinking that they need to improve on their copywriting and they don't currently feel like it is one of their strengths, what advice have you got to them as to how they can maybe upskill on that front?
1: Yeah, well, I would say number one is come come hang out with me because I've created a ton of content around this uh, at Drift and it's all available on uh, Drift.com/slash insider. I actually taught a couple copywriting courses that we have now as part of Drift Insider, so you can go and check all those out. and It's hundred percent free. You can go check it out and 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 learn a bunch of things. But outside of that, I would um you know pick up a bunch of books. Not not to just continue to plug my stuff, but like. Uh, we also on 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 my podcast, which is called the Marketing Swipe File. Um, I talk about a bunch of books that have influenced me as a marketing person and a copywriter. And so, books like Ogilvy on advertising and scientific advertising and advertising and the Boron letters. And there's so many. Go, I would say, go back and study the great copywriters from the the mid you know the mid 1900s, right? 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, the, the Mad Men era. Go study the 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 direct response marketers, the advertisers the copywriters from them. Pick up your pick up a copy of Ogilvy on advertising and just start to study that book and it will all start to make sense with you. And so there's so many opportunities to learn, but ultimately the 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 secret to becoming a better copywriter is to actually do the work. And so, you know, now and this is only in the course of three years, right? To think about how long you could stretch this out over the course of 10, 15, 20 years, which is why I always believe in learning is like over the course of three years, I've written hundreds of blog posts. I've sent hundreds of emails. I've done 15, 20 public speaking presentations that I've had to make decks for. I've written hundreds of ads. And so it ultimately does become about what we call reps and sets, right? repetitions and sets. So You have to just do the work. And so a lot of me being a good copywriter now is because I've done it. And, and it's easier to me because I have Hundreds of you know sales letters and emails that I've written that I can fall back on somewhere deep in my brain. So the learning part is great, but it doesn't matter unless you match up the learning part with doing.
0: What past failure or uncomfortable experience sets you up for success at a later date?
1: Um, I think the big—I mean, I think the biggest failure that I've made is, is, is probably on hiring and, and, and people. You know, it, it's you know i've made made a lot of bad decisions on 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 hiring and uh and recruiting and so i think those mistakes those mistakes hurt because they're expensive right P- people are expensive uh not just because of the salary that they make but the the time that you have to invest in onboarding and training and then there's kind of the the other burden which is like when you then you know have to move on from somebody at your company that takes a big toll on the rest of the team because the team thinks oh my god am i you know, am I at risk? And, uh, you know, people are leaving the company. And there's just a lot of kind of cultural, you know, ramifications of that. And so, the, the mistakes I've made in hiring have have, have made me be more thoughtful and, and more scientific and really want to treat hiring uh, just like a science, just like we would a marketing channel.
0: It's the ripple effect, isn't it? Because as you say, if one bad apple can pretty much ruin the whole the whole bowl and uh, that that's the tricky thing about recruiting or bringing people in because uh, until you actually have them in and join the team – it is difficult to know that you have definitely got the right person. So a more rigorous process obviously helps alleviate or stop that issue.
1: Yeah. Just have some process at all that you can look back and, and understand where the gaps in the system were. Right.
0: So what advice have you received from your mentor that made the most impact? Do you think?
1: Uh, I hope he doesn't listen because my mentor is our, is our CEO, David. Uh, I think I think he, the biggest impact has really been, I'll give you two answers because I, I, I think they're both important. Number one is learning. Okay. Number one is like, he was the first person to really push me to go out and learn. And now I've seen firsthand that the impact of learning has had on my career and my life. It's, it's helped me not just get better as a person, but like selfishly career-wise, like it's helped me make more money. It's helped me grow, you know, in, in my career, it's helped me get a a bigger job title. Like that's all the stuff that I, that I really see firsthand, like making this investment, Uh, in, in myself first. And, and I want to, I'm just going to pull up my, my Twitter page real quick, because I I tweeted out this quote from a, from a book that I read last night. And I think it perfect. I tweeted out because I think it perfectly sums up the quote is from Jim Rohn, who's Tony Robbins coach. And he said, he said, learn to work harder on yourself than you do on your job. If you work hard on your job, you'll make a living. If you work hard on yourself, you'll make a fortune. And and I think that that line is so true. And, and so what I learned from David is to really just invest in yourself, like whether that's books or coaching or seminars or online courses, like there's so much opportunity out there to learn today. And so number one is learn in yourself. Uh, learn and invest in yourself. Number two is... Be intentional about what you learn, and so I think the biggest mistake a lot of people make is they just want to learn everything or just some very broad stuff. But what David pushed me is look he 's like you you obviously have a skill and, and a natural ability to be to be a marketer, so he said, "Go and study marketing, go and pick up the best marketing books of all time and study people and copywriting and so that helped me because I, I didn't really like reading and learning because I, I didn't know what to focus on. But now that I found something that I, that I love and, and can, and I see the impact of, it makes me better every day. I can go read something in a book and then go apply it the next day. I want to read more. I want to learn more. So I would always think about like, what is the thing that you want to go learn right now? Let's say you make videos, right? You're a video content producer. Um, go and study storytelling and dig up all the great books about making movies and films and storytelling and story structure, blah, 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 uh, because that's going to help you go make better videos. And then, so when you, when you take what you learn from that book and go apply it to videos, you're going to make better videos. And when your videos are better, you're going to get more feedback and more love, and you're going to want to go make more videos. And so it becomes this kind of like this, this never ending loop.
0: Perfect. Really good advice. What's the worst experience you've had working for someone? (laughs)
1: Uh, I don't, I haven't really had a bad experience to be honest. I've been lucky to, to, to work for some, you know, uh, amazing people who have, who have taken me under their wing and mentored me. I think part of it is because I've always been, been willing to learn and and put in the work for them, but you know, I've had a really good stretch of, of managers and and bosses. I, I, I honestly can't think of you know, I, I grew, who could rewi I've worked at five companies. And and I think I can literally think of my boss at every single one of those companies. And, and we've had an amazing relationship. And I couldn't, you know, I, I have nothing bad to say. So I think that that's got to be a part of your uh, criteria for, for yourself, right? Is can I go work for somebody that I can learn from? And will that person help me grow? And I've been lucky enough to say yes to that at every stage of my career so far
0: that is lucky but again as you say it's probably just being a little bit more selective over who you are going to work for and why which is always a very relevant thing to ask yourself if you are in that sort of search mode at all with pressures of general life how do you manage the work-life balance and how important is that in today's society dave i mean i know you've got a little lady haven't you i think annie is it (laughs) i do yeah very recently online on Instagram and stuff. So how do you manage that with everything else that you do, the book writing, the category startup, the uh, Seeking Wisdom podcast, um, with other, you know, hyper growth conferences? How, how do you fit it all in?
1: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I fit, it, I fit it all in because it's really important to me to be a great you know, to be a great husband and a great father. And, and like, I want to invest as much time there as, as I do, you know, at work. And so ultimately it's just become a, it's a, it's a priority for me. And so I make it a priority. And so the way that I, the way that I fit it all in is I, I try to be very intentional with my time. And this hasn't always been the case, but you know, I, I say no to almost every meeting now. And, and there, especially today with, with technology, like you don't need to have meeting like so many of your meetings can be an email or they could be a video. And so I try to say no to almost every meeting. And I I also block my calendar every single day from nine o'clock from nine in the morning until 1pm. No, no excuses. And I really I usually don't let anybody book over that. And that allows me time to focus on the, the, the big work that's important for the day. And not only do I block the time from nine to one, but I actually schedule out specific tasks. So, so instead of just having my to-do list in a notebook or in Trello, uh, I have it there, but then I go and schedule it on specific days and so and for specific times. And that has been a huge help for me because you can't, you know, you can't look at your to-do list that has 15 things that are all important on them. And then even if you have your time block from nine to one, you then just kind of sit there and think about, uh, which thing should I go do? And so I found that like at least for me personally, picking off one or two specific things every single day and scheduling the time to do them, it makes sure that I get it done because it gives myself some type of deadline enforcing function but it also gives me the the mental space to just say hey don't do 15 things today do these two things and so so for example you know, today I have to work on a deck. And so I have two hours blocked uh, later today. And the only thing I'm turning off Slack and I'm turning off email and and my only measure of productivity is can I get that thing done? And then and then in my Trello, I have a system where on Trello, I have things I want to do tomorrow. So so we're recording this on a Wednesday. So I, I have the things scheduled that I want to do on Thursday and the things that I want to do on Friday. And that's been a huge help because it reduces this mental load of like, when am I going to do this stuff? It gives me specific times on my calendar to do them. And it has made me so much more productive and efficient. And also just knowing that like 99% of the things that that, that you think you need to do are not important. There's always a list of, there's always two or three things that have the biggest impact. So I try to be very intentional with my time. Uh, and then I also just give myself deadlines to do work. And and that that allows me to, you Know, go to leave work at, at five o'clock every single day to be home for, for bath time and, and for dinner and bath time, you know, with my daughter and, and my wife, and, and not have to worry about that. I get the things that I need to do done, and, and it helps me really manage both.
0: Great, really good t- tips and advice there. What's the book you recommend the most for B2B marketers?
1: Uh, Ogilvy on advertising. I would start there.
0: Well, I'd also add conversational marketing, and this won't scare.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure, you can add that. Go ahead.
0: Stuff you've written, and um, and then last, last but not least, you know, what passing words of wisdom or advice would you share with our audience?
1: I would just say stay creative, and the reason why you have to stay creative is because I think the lines between B two B and B two C are blurring, and there's so much noise in the B two B market today that if you're a B two B marketer. Don't settle for how things have always been done. Don't settle for whatever's happening you know in in the market uh, right now, in your world, in your industry. Go out and, and try new things and be willing to you know when if everybody in your industry is going right, like I would try to go left and find the gap. So don't worry about what everybody else is doing. You have to be able to pave your own path and that's the way you're going to get people to pay attention to you today.
0: Great, really good advice. Thank you ever so much for taking part, Dave. It's really appreciated.
1: Yeah, great. Thank you for having me.
0: So there you have it. Career advice from a real marketing expert and leader in the field. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, then please leave us a review in iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback.